this is so that our sisters in Christ who are not able to be here today can actually hear. Um, well, let's pray for Nan okay. and for us as we hear what the Lord has okay. for us through Nan. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your servant Nan. I thank you, Lord, for um, the way she loves you and listens to you. And I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for her to go and visit friends and make new friends there in Rwanda. And I thank you, Lord, for the friendship that we have as a church with those uh, on the other side of the world who are very different from us and yet are united with us um, in faith, through faith in you. And so we ask, Lord, now that you would not only strengthen the bonds of affection between us and them, but ultimately, Lord, would you during this time point towards your great love for us. Um, that which unites us. And Lord, would you strengthen us here in the United States for um, this kind of friendship, this kind of um, living in the midst of otherness, even while we're seeking to um, love and serve you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would take Nan's words now and would you speak through them, speak through your servant, um, your instrument, Nan, uh, to be able to minister to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Deborah. Maraho. Hello. In Kenrawanda, my one or two words that I learned while we were there. Um, this morning's talk has two narratives. One describes how the Lord got this grandmother who never had an interest in Africa to go to Rwanda. And the other is just um, kind of a hodgepodge of um, observations that I made about the trip during the trip. I'm talking about Rwanda worship, the culture, and the Rwandan church. So I'll start with myself. About five years ago, I began to have a desire to travel. I got my passport renewed and started thinking about where I wanted to go. I didn't want to travel alone, so I started asking friends if they might like to join me. Some of the trips that I pitched to them were an Alaskan cruise, a trip to Budapest in Prague, um, what else did I say, Spain, or the footsteps of Paul. I had no takers. <laughs> Either uh, the timing was wrong or they just weren't interested in, in that particular trip. I think I asked you, Mary Jean, to go on once. <laughs> uh, one of my daughters was in grad school at the time and uh, was going on a lot of trips abroad, and she knew I wanted to travel, so she uh, jo asked me to join her on some of her adventures. Africa was still not on my radar. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man makes plans, but the Lord directs his footsteps. Then I read in the adventure about the Magishas coming to Birmingham. I kept thinking about them coming to um, this country and being so far away from family and friends and being an entirely different culture. I did something quite out of the box for me. I wrote a note welcoming them to Birmingham and telling them that I lived nearby. I included my phone number. Then I drove the note to the Advent House to give to them. I only mentioned this because it was so atypical of me. It had to be the Holy Spirit working in and through me. Several days later, Sam called and we set up a date and time for the family to come to my house to visit. I had no clue what Africans like to drink in the afternoon. But I just happened to have a friend who lived in California and works for Global Team and goes to Ethiopia. I called her and she suggested coffee for the adults, juice or hot chocolate for the children, and something sweet. I could handle that. <laughs> I whipped up a pound cake, bought some cookies and hot chocolate mix, and I was ready. What a delight the Magishas were. 
we talked about all the usual things that you talk about when you meet someone for the first time. They were so gracious when I admitted to them that I'd had to get a map out to find where Rwanda was. <laughs> I knew it was in Africa. And that all I knew about Rwanda was what I had seen in Hotel Rwanda. Sam told me how things have changed and about the forgiveness that's taken place in the country. And I'm really not going to talk a lot or much more about the genocide than that. We're going to do a Sunday school class in um, December, on December the 9th. And so you'll hear more about that if you're interested. As they were leaving, I asked them if they needed anything from the grocery. Again, another weird thing for me to do. They needed a couple of items, so we all piled into their car and drove to Western. In Western, Jackie and I went to find milk, and Sam took the girls to the opposite side of the store. When we got to the milk, a lady rounded the corner speaking in a foreign language. Jackie spoke back, and they hugged. Turns out the lady was speaking Kenyarwandan. Jackie was so happy to see someone from her country. I was puzzled how the lady knew Jackie was Rwandan because Jackie was wearing Western clothing. She said, I can recognize my people. The lady's name is Hope. You all may know her. She's a cashier at Western. Her uh, given name is Esperanza, but, which means Hope. I'd never seen her before and didn't see her again for months. Jackie and I knew at the time that that was a welcome gift from the Lord. Sam and Jackie had one car, and Sam needed it to go get to school and to take Iris and Ennis to the Advent Day School. That meant Jackie and Ingrid were home alone all day with no transportation. It just so happened I had a grandson who was the exact age as Ingrid. I had a car seat that was perfect for her. I didn't have a job or other responsibilities, so I had time to visit. Jackie, Ingrid, and I went shopping in Crestline and at Brookwood Mall. We went out to lunch and to, a, to the nail salon, just typical things that ladies like to do. Over spring break, Iris and Ennis joined us, and we all went to the movie. Marie at Bow Cleaners asked me just last week how Jackie was doing. We had met her on one of our trips in Crestline, and she fell in love with Ingrid. Jackie and Sam had me to their home several times for dinner. We developed a close friendship, though I'm a lot older than they are. Before they left to go back to Rwanda, they asked me to come and visit. I thought it would be nice, but who would I go with? Jackie emailed me last year when Sam was being consecrated as bishop and said she wished I could come, but the timing wasn't right for me. Later in the year, I heard the Advent team who had been to Rwanda speak about their experience. I knew I wanted to go on the next trip. I'm so glad that I got to go this past summer. I share my story with you this morning to point you to the one who directs our footsteps. I'm so thankful for the connection God has made between the Advent and Rwanda. And there are many, many more people who did much more than I did with the Magishas, meaning Miss Susan back there. <laughs> that, um, but anyway, just I just wanted to show you how the Lord got me, someone totally disinterested in Africa, to go to Rwanda. So now on to Rwanda. In Rwanda, they have a, a tradition that when someone speaks, uh, they will say, Hallelujah, and the, the group responds back, Amen. So we're going to try that this morning. <laughs> so, hallelujah. Amen. Y'all are fast learners. Uh, 
when people asked me why we were going uh, to Rwanda, I told them it was to build relationships. The official purpose that we were given comes from a book called Helping Without Hurting. And it says to learn from, encourage, and fellowship with believers around the world in the context of long-term engagement with God's work, focusing on understanding his body and our role in it. Relationships is easier. (laughs) Um, Our team consisted of 10 people from the Advent. Martin and Sister Clapp and their three daughters, Margaret Moore, Lucy and Alice, and Sister is here this morning, Pete and Mary Berkeley Pritchard, Annie Lee, who sings with the 5 o'clock band and at the 11 o'clock service too, uh, Bethany Rushing, Director of Missions and Outreach for the Advent, and me. Bethany did a terrific job preparing us for the trip. We had assigned reading materials, and some of them were Helping Without Hurting, the the Archbishop's book, Barefoot to Bishop. And if you haven't read that, it's wonderful, very faithful. Uh, building, The Antelope Strategy, Left to Tell, and a movie recommendation sometime in April. We were given prayer points to bathe our trip in before we left. We met four times to discuss readings, share homework assignments, and stuff like that. I wish you all could have seen how excited the people in Rwanda were to see the Clap Girls, as not many foreigners bring children with them. We all got a sense of what it must be like to be a rock star with throngs of people around our bus to see the girls or children running beside us or behind us to catch a glimpse of them. One lady asked Sister, um, I think it was Alice, she said, is her hair tinted? They had never never seen anyone with red hair. Um, It was wonderful to see the country and the people through the eyes of three girls ranging in age from 15 to 10. My family truly has been enlarged to include the other members of our our team. I hope you could tell from the slideshow um, a little bit about the country and the people. It's beautiful. The climate is awesome too. The region that we were in is where tourists go um, from all over the world to see the mountain gorillas and no one on our trip did that this time. As pretty as the countryside is, I thought that the people were Rwanda's greatest asset. Everyone we met, from Bishop Sam and Jackie, to the diocese staff, pastors and village, uh, at, and people at village churches, to Archbishop and Chantel Mabanda, were so hospitable and gracious. We were truly treated as honored guests. Bishop Sam and Jackie always made sure that there was someone nearby who could translate for us. They had us to their home for dinner with their family. It was one of the highlights of my trip, getting to see where they now live. Archbishop and Chantel Bonda were able to arrange separate impromptu visits with us our last day in Kilgali. We dropped by their home to see Chantel on her way to the airport. She was warm and gracious. In the midst of our conversation, she told us that she was leaving the next day for a two-month stay in the U.S., and had just entertained 60 children at her home. She was not rushed or harried, and I really would like to know her secret. We grew particularly close to Eugene, who I pointed out in the slideshow, a diocese staff member who traveled with us. Eugene was head of communications in the youth programs. He was our interpreter, guide, and became a close friend. 
Most people think of a mission team going to a developing country to do something tangible like building a bridge or providing medical care, teaching. All those things are certainly good. Our family and friends were puzzled when we told them the purpose of our trip was to build relationships. Our purpose came to fruition when we intended when we attended a mother's union meeting. You may recall I pointed out Jackie with the blue and white and ladies in blue and white. Archdeacon John told us that they were doubly blessed by our coming because we had visited two churches in his archdeaconry during our stay. They felt blessed that a group of people came thousands of miles to spend time with them and to encourage them. That's when our purpose really hit home to me. All he asked was that we pray for them, that they fulfill God's call for them and their ministries. And think about it, as many, as great as their needs were, he just asked for prayer. That prayer request was repeated by Bishop Sam and Archbishop Bonda. I had never heard of an archdeaconry. The Shira Diocese has over 100,000 members with 66 parishes and 341 congregations. To provide closer oversight, the diocese is broken into nine archdioceses. Each one has an archdeacon who oversees seven parishes. They report to the bishop. And this structure kind of reminds me, last night I was thinking about it, of, of Moses in Exodus 18 when his father-in-law tells him to appoint judges so that he can be allevi- alleviated of some of the uh, day-to-day decisions. Every time we attended a meeting that involved worship, a portion of scripture from Nehemiah 8.10 would pop into my head. The joy of the Lord is their strength. And I know it says in scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength, but I heard the joy of the Lord is their strength. Worship in Rwanda, like many African-American churches, is spontaneous and joyous. It includes singing, arms raised in praise, clapping, and dancing before the Lord. A friend told me that worshiping with Africans has forever changed her worship experience. She said it reminds her of King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. As you saw in a slide, we got to dance with one of the choirs uh, during our first visit to a village church. One of the things the Lord showed me during that time was that he wants me to be free of the fear of what other people think. Today is another way he's working in that area. <laughs> um, there were several slides that included the Archdeaconry-wide Mother's Union meeting. Jackie invited us to support her in her role as president of the Mother's Union for the Diocese, and she is called Mommy by the, by the other ladies. That title goes along with being the Archbishop's wife. The Mother's Union is an international organization of um, a Christian organization putting faith into action supporting families. In Rwanda, the women in the Mother's Union teach other women to sew. They provide the foot-powered sewing machines that you saw and sell handmade items to support their work. Chantelle told me that when she was president, the Mother's Union built a house for a woman whose husband left her when he found out she was pregnant with quadruplets and they had eight other children at home. <laughs> but she said after the house was finished, he came home. <laughs> uh, Jackie preached at the meeting, encouraging the women to use their God-given gifts. Other topics presented were how to have a good relationship with your spouse, how to get along with your in-laws and extended family, 
how to manage a home with the resources you have. Any of these topics would be applicable for us here. In addition to providing two meals for us, the Mother's Union gave each of us a gift. So generous and totally unexpected. And as you saw, Jackie uh, received a cow. So to support the Mother's Union, we all went to a mall in Masanzi and had fabric, uh, bought fabric to have items made. I had an apron made <laughs> for me and my girls, as well as a skirt, and other people had table runners, aprons, and napkins made. There's a vast difference between women's lives in Rwanda depending on where they live. Cities like Kilgali and Masanzi, where we stayed, have all the amenities that we're used to. Um, city water, electricity, indoor plumbing, TV. That's not the case in the rural areas. Traveling to villages, we would see an occasional electric line in some places and uh, rarely saw satellite dishes. We were told that the electricity was used for one light and to charge their cell phones. Yes, they have cell phones. We saw people walking on remote mountain roads talking on their cell phones. They must have great cell towers because Rwanda is known as the uh, country of a thousand hills or the land of a thousand hills. Women in rural areas cook on open fire pits outside. I never saw one, but Bishop Sam said they were located behind the houses. Children help gather wood for the fire. The bathroom is an, out, is an outhouse. Sometimes with a toilet, you flush by pouring water into it, and other times it's a pit toilet. We were guests for tea and lunch in two different pastors' homes. It didn't dawn on me until we left the first home the labor-intensive work the women had done to provide um, our meal. They even had warm water that they had warmed over a fire in a pitcher and poured it over our hands so that we could wash our hands with soap and water before each meal. It made me realize what a labor of love each meal was for us. Many women in cities may have jobs outside the home. Chantel Bonda told me that those who do typically have a houseman who takes care of all the household details. And my children would, would love to have that. <laughs> they, they, no, they all work. Uh, I forgot to ask her if the houseman cooks too. If they can't afford a houseman, usually a family member will come and live with them to help out. However, in rural areas, the women work on family plots to grow food for the family. We occasionally saw a man working in the field, but mainly saw them pushing bicycles loaded with produce, water cans, or one time a sofa. I couldn't wait to get back to Birmingham and tell Glenn Rideau, a member of our church who repairs and rebuilds bicycles, the many ways that the Rwandans had found to use them. He said, oh, I know. I saw somebody in Mississippi, or he may have said Louisiana, using a bicycle to move one time. Families go get water twice a day. We saw women, men, and children carrying various sized water containers to fetch water. Eugene told us water sources are typically a 15 to 30 minute walk for most families in the mountain areas. Can you imagine taking two hours out of your day just to have water? I can't. Bishop Sam told us that he carried water on his head as a boy. I was concerned, and this may be my age, but I was concerned that the heavy loads we saw people carrying on their heads would give them back and neck problems. He said it didn't. 
He commented that carrying things on your head gave you excellent posture. (laughs) And you all saw the slide of him demonstrating to us how to balance the water bottle. And Alice Clapp was his best student, star student. I was in awe of the women that I saw walking along the road who were balancing something on their head, had a baby on their back, and a bag in their hand. Talk about multitasking. I never saw a woman riding a bicycle or a motorcycle. They were always on the back as a passenger. Motorcycles and bicycles are used for uh, like a taxi there. And someone pointed out earlier this morning that the women probably are not riding a bicycle because they're long skirts. That that could be, I don't know. Um, Do you remember the slide with the graffiti on the column at the high school or the store selling pottery? Either of those pictures could have been taken here. Another similarity that we have with the Shira diocese is that they have small groups throughout their diocese studying God's word. Agnes, who is in charge of small groups for the diocese, spent a whole day with us. We went from village, we went to a village church and got to see 12 to 15 small groups in person. Before we left, Pete Pritchard spoke on behalf on our behalf to the packed church. I'm going to do a terrible job paraphrasing what Pete said, but the gist of it was that we have obvious differences, but we all worship the same one true God. That really seemed to resonate with the congregation. There were two slides uh, depicting two different preschools. One had children dressed in uniforms, and it was near Masanzi, and the other one had a church that said Anglican Chapel on it, and it was in a rural setting. Again, just like Alabama, the rural rural schools are not as modern and well-equipped. That particular building had been recently closed by the government for failing to meet building and sanitation codes. The diocese is looking into building building at another site a bigger and better building. The preschools are taught holistically, mind, body, and spirit. The children learn English, their letters, songs. Nearby families are encouraged to bring their children whether, whether or not they are a member of the church. I can't remember, and Susan or, or um, Sister, y'all may know, if there's a charge for the preschool or not. I, I didn't remember hearing of, of charge. Um, there is a huge ratio of students to teachers. The um, slide that you saw of the children in uniform I don't know how many children were there, but there were only two teachers. Everest, the preschool coordinator for the diocese, said that their biggest problem was teacher turnover. And in my opinion, it's because they got so many students to teachers. Um, Currently, there are 150 preschools, and the archbishop's goal is to add 100 more over the next year. The eggs that you saw being passed out are part of the One Egg Project. That particular school is being sponsored by the Advent. Currently, 36 schools in Rwanda that serve 4,400 children are participating in the One Egg Project. That's over 22,000 eggs a week. Eggs provide high-quality protein that children need to grow and develop. The children at the other 115 preschools get porridge. And here is a shameless plug. You can buy a soapstone egg in our bookstore for $50. That will supply two children with one egg a day for a whole year. 
I sometimes buy them for Thanksgiving and give to my children or for Christmas for that person on your on my list that doesn't really need anything. There are handmade baskets in the bookstore also that benefit the uh, One Egg Project. Um, and someone mentioned that maybe they need to start selling aprons. So we'll get pass that message on to Bethany. Um, Deborah asked me to share about the hardest thing on the trip. For me, and I think I can speak for the rest of our group, the hardest thing happened after we got home. We learned that Eugene, who had been with us every day of our trip for 8 to 10 hours a day, was sick. He was admitted to the hospital on August the 8th, the day after we left Rwanda. We knew he was sick. Um, we just thought he had like a virus. But anyway, he was admitted to the, day, uh, to the hospital the next day. We prayed while our friends in Africa were asleep, and they prayed while we were asleep. Sadly, Eugene died on August the 26th. He left behind his wife, Grace, who was pregnant with their first child. Baby Ineza was born on September the 20th. Bethany got our group together and had Gil Cracky come too. It was good to get together and share our feelings and love for Eugene. I hope that you can see the many similarities that we have with our brothers and sisters in Rwanda. They truly are the same kind of, we truly are the same kind of different as them. Maybe it's because on the mission trip we, we prayed a lot and attended a lot of worship uh, worship uh, things. Or maybe it's my age or Eugene's death so soon after our trip. But I can't help but think what it will be like in heaven when we are worshiping before the throne of God. As Revelation five nine describes it. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you. Open up to questions. If you um, if you need to go, feel free to go. We, um, but if you'd like to stick around and ask some questions of Nan, I'd like to kick it off by um, asking you quickly. And I know it's 10:30, so some people might need to go um, about the differences. You know, we find ourselves in a separate culture. When you're in a separate culture, you're really aware. Well, that's different. We don't do things like that here. Did you have experiences like that um, where you felt that way? or And have you ever had that experience here in the United States with someone that you ought to have more in common with? And if so, how did you navigate that? And were there any misunderstandings that came about from that? I don't remember any misunderstandings. Um, we were, in our preparation, Bethany told us about cultural differences. So we knew not to ask someone, are you Hutu, are you Tutsi? The, the different tribes that had right. participated in the genocide, um, but no, we didn't. We didn't. I, I will say, like, like in the United States, I think the Lord, in preparing me for this trip, I've been going to a lot of African American churches, and um, so they love the Lord, but they just kind of worship differently than we do. So that was kind of a, a preparation for the trip. Mm, that's 
that's amazing. Do some of those things are not don't have moral content, but we start to think, well, we're right and they're wrong. I mean, what? I remember, I recall having a roommate once who did the dishes, had a different format for doing the dishes, and I thought she was eternally wrong, and I, you know, wanted to tell her all the time she did it the wrong way. She just grew up doing it a different way, and it was didn't have a moral content. The dishes still got clean, but it was just wrong. I had to tell her it was wrong. Um, and I think we often have that when we're with other people and they're doing, whether it's our husbands or another um, woman or our mother-in-law or someone who's doing something out of the ordinary that we we wouldn't do it like right. that. And it's hard for us sometimes to just just go along with it and trust that, you know, that's that's going to be okay. Some of those differences are going to be okay. Um, some of those, has anybody else ever had an experience like that, whether here or in another country, where you thought, well, that's a different way of doing that? Um, yeah. It was a fun experience of Harry getting married in England yeah. and their wedding ceremony. You could tell about Queen Elizabeth who was doing this. Okay. This was maybe too different. Yeah. Yeah. When you see some of those cultural differences come into play, um, and that's one of the struggles that we have, especially as Westerners going into Mm -hmm. a non-Western country, we think, well, that's the wrong way to do it, and yet we have to trust that the Lord, the Lord is in that. If it's not morally wrong, then might not be wrong. It's just different than what we know about. Um, you might have felt like it was the right way to do it, the way they worship. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I really and did. I bet. Uh-huh. A, what kind of feeling did you have coming back to our our worship after you had been worshiping with them? Then? Well, it's just a more freeing yeah. type of worship, and they're just they, their whole body is participating in the worship service. And I don't think it's right or wrong. No. It's just it's just what what they're accustomed to. We did adapt to their culture. We all wore long skirts and, you know, didn't wear sleeveless and, and tried to be, um, you know, aware of, of that. So. That's respectful. Any other questions for Nan that you might have? Yeah, you mentioned the preschool that mm-hmm. uh, was closed down. Mm-hmm. How are they um, building that back? And is our church involved in that? Catholic? We're involved in some, but... I don't know that our church is involved in that. Bishop Sam said that they were looking for land so that they could build a bigger one. And and actually, the congregation will build it. So they don't have builders. The, the people actually participate. And I can't remember if he said somebody else comes and does the roof. Mm-hmm. But I know they build the, the walls and that kind of thing. Where's but money come from? You know, I... So one of the wonderful things, having met um, Bishop Mabanda, who is now Archbishop Mabanda, a few years ago when he first came to the U.S., um, when Sam was coming here, Mm -hmm. Bishop Sam now, um, was just, uh, Bethany and I sat down with him and Chantal over coffee, and having seen lots of different things overseas and the way different organizations would function, what was amazing about Bishop Archbishop Mabanda was that he he his goal was not to live forever off of the support of out, people outside of the diocese. His goal was for the diocese to be entirely self-sustaining, and he inherited incredible mm-hmm. amounts of debt and bankruptcy, um, and and then turned the diocese around with mm-hmm. really clever business practices, um, clever uh, evangelism practices. One of their 
clever ways of evangelizing the people in the towns who are not Anglicans or Christians at all would be to have their, their that church building that mm-hmm. they've been able to build. They don't just use it for worship on Sundays. They open it up every day of the week for children to come in for those preschools. And so those are, most of the children in those preschools are non-church members, but the way that they're ministering and bringing them nourishment and care while their mothers can then go provide for the family in a way that's crucial, it is life-changing for the families, Mm -hmm. and that physical need, meeting that physical need, then causes them to say, what's going on with this church? We want to come in and, and be here on Sunday as well, see what's going on in worship. To speak to your point about money, um, the hotel where we stayed, a lot of the revenue from it supports diocese activities. They have a um, polytechnical college, and the uh, tuition from it also supports the diocese, and the students and teachers within the school are able to do outside projects and one of the things was like testing concrete to make it was make sure it was the right consistency is that right density or whatever um, for building and so then they can charge for that Um, they have plumbing and electrical skills that they can use so all of those ways um, support education but also support the the diocese so it was interesting they never I guess one person said they needed more um, materials for their um, small groups, but on the whole, we never heard, you know, we need this amount of money. It was always pray for us that the Lord will provide for us mm-hmm. and that we can accomplish His work. Mm-hmm. So um, that was it's interesting. It's a way of, of guiding you, too. Yeah. Right. Not only guiding them, but guiding you in ways that should you be involved or not. Right. And that's where, if you've ever looked at our outreach budget, the amount that we give an ex- a, a wonderful amount of money to them more than to any other ministry or missionary and the reason for that is that it, we see it as seed money. Mm-hmm. Giving them that amount of money is like giving ten times that amount because of their faithfulness right. in, in in combining it with mm-hmm. their own work and efforts and with sustainable means for mm-hmm. provision for themselves. So. And I thought it was remarkable that Sam had gotten out with his slasher and uh, help to clear that land because they don't have a lawnmower or a bush hog or anything. They just physically were out um, cutting the grass with their sling blade, as I would call it. But I, I didn't mention really anything about the, the genocide and, and the, the forgiveness that you see in the um, country is just remarkable to think that over a mi- about a million people were killed in 90 days. Um, but if you're interested, you can come to the uh, Bible study that will, not Bible, sorry, Sunday school class we'll be doing, as I mentioned, on um, December the 9th. And then the books that I mentioned, um, Left to Tell and the Antelope Strategy, are all about um, the genocide. And we found out a few weeks ago that if you go on um, Instagram, if you're on Instagram, uh, you can go on Humans of New York, is Humans NYC, and um, October the 15th, they started interviewing um, genocide, uh, people who were in the genocide and who were rescued, and they called them the rescuers. So they were Hutu people that uh, protected uh, Tutsi people during the genocide. So it's really, that, that would be a real condensed way of, of reading about the, the genocide. Humans of, New, Humans of New York, I think it is, on Instagram. 
other um, one thing I'd asked you earlier at the um, early morning session was um, we see in Revelation that wonderful picture mm-hmm. of all of the cultures of the earth around the mm-hmm. the throne of the Lamb, and at the very end, when the New Jerusalem descends, it says that the the kings of the earth will bring their wealth into the new city and their in their glory into the new city. And um, prayerfully, during my first mission trip to a very different culture in 2004 when I went to India, I felt as though the wealth, what was the wealth? It wasn't silver and gold. God doesn't want or need silver and gold. That's just, but the wealth I really believed was seen as being this, this cultural beauty, some of the difference that's really beautiful and valuable that the Lord wants to preserve, just like in some ways our the beauty of our world is preserved in the afterlife. It's not as though we're snatched away to a cloud. It's that heaven, des- you know, the throne of God descends to the mm-hmm. new earth. Um, and so I wonder what aspects do you think of that culture, the Rwandan culture, will be preserved there in heaven? Um, I think it's their joy. I mean, I, I wondered, you know, am I just crazy, you know, thinking about joy? And I said something to Chantel Bonda when she was here in um and uh, September, and she said, oh, no, we are a joy-filled people. And Carl Wilkin, who was the only uh, foreigner that stayed in Rwanda during the genocide, I listened to a talk that he did a couple of days ago, and, and um, he said about Rwanda, the joy in Rwanda. So to me, the joy and their just their hospitality, they just make you feel at home immediately mm-hmm. for me. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot. Is universally joyful? Would you say? I know you were only a small part of it. I wonder if it's different if you get out to different areas. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Just I can just speak for the people that we met in the the little bitty part that we were, you know, that we were in. Yeah, there are joyful countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It really is. I'm going to so. close in prayer. I want to encourage you to... Oh, yeah, Anya. Anya, sorry. Uh, this is a trick to change your or other people's or those children's relationship with water. Yeah. How you use water Water. Oh, yeah, water. That's a really good point. Did, did your relationship with water you and how you use water... How we... We stand there uh, 30 minutes right. under the shower and head. How yeah. much it takes uh, uh, work and, and to give this warm water to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, a, li- a little bit it, ha- it has. I have, have retainers that I wear. And you have to uh, have warm water to put this cleanser in there. And so I'm like, I'm, since I've gotten back, I'm like, I'm wasting so much water waiting for it to get warm mm-hmm. so I can put this you know, cleanser in there. So in that sense, yes. What about have you... You have to walk two hours a day to get your water. Mm -hmm. You treat how much water you use very differently. Yeah. I remembered that from India too. Mm -hmm. You know, tried to not let the water just run while I was doing the dishes instead put it in a basin or things like that. I don't know. Did your girls mention anything, sister? (laughs) Um, No. But I do think it is... I do think it is it's in them. I think it's an experience that will frame the, le- the other parts of their, their life. And when they're a little older and maybe less 
you know, kids are a lot, they're inward or inwardly looking. It will be um, something they remember and draw upon. Yeah. You know, it's Absolutely. interesting what children retain because when uh, I grew up in Tuscaloosa and EYC, one Christmas we took your typical turkey thing, I mean, you know, a Christmas meal to a family in need, and that was in Tuscaloosa. Well, they were in a literally a one-room shack with a light bulb with no running water, and I never forgot that. Now, I'm sure I didn't discuss it with my parents when that happened, but that had a profound impact, and I was probably only 12 or 13. Yeah. It's really helpful so, to see the world through other people's eyes, and it changes the way you view your world when mm -hmm. you get back to your world. Well, thank you, Nan, for sharing about your experience there. And feel free to stay back and ask any questions. Um, let's pray for her, and then I'll give an announcement before we go, go for it. Um, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your servant, Nan, and for um, the way she shared her experiences and her heart. And we thank you, Lord, above all, for the people of Rwanda, the people of the church in the Shira Diocese, um, gathered together there, even as we're gathered here in Birmingham. And we thank you, Lord, that we are indeed brothers and sisters united through um, faith in you, through the waters of baptism. And so we thank you and praise you for that unity that we have in you. Um, and so for those of us who might never get to Rwanda, we thank you, Lord. We look forward to enjoying the beauties of Rwandan culture in heaven. We look forward to seeing what you see um, and enjoying their joy, even as our joy is made complete in you. And so we ask now that you would send us out with the power of the Holy Spirit and your own peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.